0: Uh, Well, Welcome to week number two in the series, Take a Vow. And I have two main goals for this series. First, I want to offer some guidance to those of you who are not married. The Bible has some wonderful wisdom that will bless your future marriage if you commit yourselves to living the vows that we are talking about in this series. And second, I want to highlight some of these principles for those of us who are married because our love for our spouse is to be the closest reflection of God's love on this earth. A godly marriage where these vows are visible really does show people Jesus. And, by the way, we will feel the most fulfilled in our marriages where the love of God and these vows are present. Uh, I think all of us can think of a couple who modeled the true meaning of godly love and what a marriage under the guidance of the Holy Spirit really looks like. Maybe it was your grandparents or your parents. Maybe it's the memory of your husband or your wife. I believe the next generation really needs to know the love of God and see the love of God in our marriages. Let me start with kind of a a lighthearted question this morning. How many of you did something crazy, foolish, or risky to display your love for someone when you were dating? Okay, I see, I see a lot of hands going up. Some of you just aren't risk takers. That's okay. Uh, when Lisa and I were dating, we, we actually dated in high school. I remember one evening after school, like I just had to see her. But it was snowing like crazy outside in Erie. Uh, I don't know why my parents let me go. Uh, I don't think I would let one of my kids uh, drive in that kind of a snowstorm. There was like four to six inches of snow on Interstate 90. And Lisa and I lived 30 minutes apart. Uh, it was dark. I could hardly see. Uh, at times, I was following the plow trucks in front of me. Uh, at times, I was following the taillights of cars in front of me. I was at, driving with my lights off and just my parking lights on because it was snowing so hard that the reflection off the falling snow was blinding. If you've driven in a lot of snow, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We lived 30 minutes apart. It took me an hour and a half to get to her house that night. I was there for like 20 minutes. I got a kiss. And I drove an hour and a half home. (laughs) And it was totally, totally worth it. it. You know what I'm talking about. When you're in love, you do all kinds of crazy things. Do you remember calling each other? On a landline when you were chained to a phone by a cord. Uh, yes, kids, phones and cords were a thing. Uh, but we would talk for hours to one another. Uh, without a screen to distract us, there was nothing else to do. Uh, tethered to a phone that was anchored to a wall with a 10 foot cord. Do you remember buying each other gifts for like your seven month anniversary? <laughs> we pursue what we don't have and desire. What did you do? Spend all your money on a concert because it was your significant other's favorite band? Wait in silence on the phone for the other person to hang up? You hang up. No, you hang up. We wine, we dine, we spend all kinds of time. It's what we do when we're in love. You pursue what you don't have and what you desire. Somewhere along the way, life gets complicated, doesn't it? And our focus shifts. And we're tempted to stop pursuing with one another with the same devotion. I know relationships change and mature, but we need to guard against taking each other for granted. We have to commit to pursuing one another or one day you will wake up and you will think, where did the intimacy go? Where did the romance go? Life naturally pulls us in so many directions. Kids, sports, jobs, activity, people. But think about it this way. Can you neglect or not pay attention to any other area in your life and have it improve? The answer is no. If you you neglect... Your body, uh, it will not improve. Uh, round is a shape, uh, but that's not the kind of shape we want to be in. Uh, if you neglect your budget and your finances uh, and your financial goals, your financial situation will not improve. Uh, if you don't spend time with Jesus, your relationship with him won't grow. When relationships start to slide, many people are tempted to start a new one. And and I love what my friend Mark Dolak always said to me. He said, if the grass looks greener on the other side, water yours. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. Last week, we looked at keeping a vow of keeping God as our first priority and our spouse as our second. Today, I want to take a vow of always pursuing our spouse. Last week I referenced Genesis 2:24. I want to read that this morning. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Up until the time we get married, we are called to honor God first and our mother and our father second. They are our second priority as kids. We're to honor them, receive love from them. Besides God, they are the second priority. God is always first. But when you get married, your priorities change, or at least they should. Some parents have trouble letting go. And some children have trouble understanding that their spouse is now second and mom and dad don't take that spot anymore. But that's a whole different message. The word united. The man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. That word united means to cling or adhere. It can also mean to catch by pursuit, or a third definition, to passionately pursue with affection and devotion. Hebrew is a a fascinating language. It's more complex than English. Oftentimes, words have like stories attached, multiple meanings, multiple angles, textures, almost like a portrait. One of the stories in Scripture that illustrates this pursuit this clinging and affection is the story of Jacob and his love for Rachel. Do you remember the story? Jacob offered to work for his relative Laban for seven years to marry Rachel. Now Laban said, what do you want for your wages? So uh, Jacob could have chosen to got to get paid. But Jacob was in love. Some of you would think that might be a crazy choice. Uh, But let's look at what Scripture says about Jacob's perspective on all of this. Genesis 29, 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. That's crazy and romantic. But he pursued her for seven years for the opportunity to to take her hand in marriage. But if you remember, Laban sort of played a trick on Jacob. There was an older sister, and her name was Leah. And the Bible says this about these two sisters in Genesis 20. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So Rachel was like drop-dead gorgeous, and Leah, she was a nice person. After Jacob worked seven years that just seemed like a few days for Rachel, Laban brings Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel on their wedding night. And I don't know how this happened. It must have been really, really dark uh, because Jacob doesn't realize until morning when he wakes up that he's in bed with Leah. And he goes to his now father-in-law and he says, "'What have you done? "'I woke up with weak eyes and you promised me Rachel.'" Laban looks at Jacob and says, I, in our culture, the older one has to be married first. I didn't know what to do, so like uh, now you're married. Congratulations. Now, a lot of people think that Jacob had to work another seven years before he could marry Rachel. That's not the way it happened. Laban allowed Jacob to marry Rachel soon thereafter. And then, he worked another seven years for Rachel while he was married to two sisters. I don't even want to go there. That's a lot of drama. Here's where I'm going with this. Jacob worked for Rachel, and he pursued her after he already had her. That's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about being United and pursuing, catching, even after you have something you desire. Not just for seven years, but for a lifetime. Bless you if you have done that. Thank you for being such a faithful witness to the faithfulness and love of God if you have done that. I think God wants us to continue to pursue our spouse after we have them. When we are dating, I think that comes naturally. We, we buy stuffed animals and we take them out to dinner and we communicate all the time and display lots of affection. But after the wedding day, life pulls us in so many different ways and we are tempted to stop pursuing our spouse with the same intentionality. Now, let me take a second and just speak to those of you who aren't married right now. If... You are dating someone, and there is not a mutual pursuing going on. I want to warn you and ask you to reconsider your relationship, because we tend to work for what we don't have, and if he or she is not pursuing you now, it is not going to get better after you get married. Ladies you are worth pursuing. If he is not taking you on dates, dressing up, and willing to drop some cash, it normally doesn't get better once you say, I do. Guys, if she's not expressing her love for you, returning the thoughtfulness, she shouldn't be throwing herself at you. But if she's not making you cookies or something, or showing her affection, or buying you gifts, or sending you texts. You've got a problem because, guys, you are worth pursuing. After you say, I do, all of us who are married will tell you, you have to fight to keep from taking each other for granted. How do we live this in everyday life in practical ways? Because No one gets married and thinks, you know what, I want a terrible marriage when I grow up. I want a relationship that lacks intimacy. I want to grow apart. I want this thing to blow up my face in seven years. I want to pass the kids back and forth and cause them a bunch of stress. No one thinks that when they are standing face to face at the altar ready to say, I do. We all have good intentions. So let me give you three suggestions for pursuing your spouse for a lifetime. Number one, if you're taking notes. When you think of something good, say it. Why rob your spouse of the encouragement and the blessing of feeling appreciated? Uh, I took this principle from Hebrews 3.13, which says this, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you want to keep the walls from going up in your relationship, if you want to help your spouse not seek attention and affirmation from someone else, you be their biggest fan. If you think of something good, say it. As people, we need verbal affirmation. I've heard people quote all kinds of statistics about the number of hugs we need uh, to be emotionally healthy every day. And it's something like 13 or something. I'm sure it's true. But we also need nonverbal affirmation and affection. We pursue our wives for a lifetime. And guys, we need to do that with affection, but we also need to do that with non-sexual affection. Now, some of you guys are thinking, what's that? Well, let me explain. I'll say it really slow. It's non-sexual affection. Uh, Some of you are still confused. (laughs) Um, It's saying things to express your love. It's doing things to express your love without sex in mind. That's important. Because a guy can take anything to a sexual level. It's like a spiritual gift or something. Uh, Your wife says, Honey, would you unload the dishwasher? And the guy says, Yeah, I'll unload your dishwasher. It's a gift. Ladies, your husband is not twisted. He's a guy. Uh, It doesn't matter whether it's checking the oil, carrying the laundry, mowing the grass. We can go there. But guys... We need to pursue our wives, I know you've never heard this in the same sentence, (laughs) with non-sexual affection. Let me help you. I'll give you a fill-in-the-blank. It's in your sermon note sheet. It says, I love you because, and you get to fill in the blank with things like, you're my best friend. You're a great mom. You are so thoughtful. She needs to hear it, and it will bless you, and it will bless her. When you think it, say it, unconnected to anything else. Ladies, pursue him with words of affirmation and affection. And I'm going to say this honestly from a a, a place of vulnerability for, for us guys here. We become the men you see us as. This is so important, ladies. You need to hear this. Do not tell us what we're not. Find another way. That is so defeating. We get so tempted just to throw in the towel when it feels like we are not able to make you happy. Even if we're not quite there, find a way to build us up, and we will grow into it. I wish I could tell you that our emotional well-being was less connected to what you think of us. But it's not. When you see a genuinely confident man, I believe what you are seeing is a man who is believed in, a man who knows who he is in Christ through the words often of his wife. Pursue one another with verbal affirmation and affection. If you think something good, Say it. Number two: when you think of doing something good, do it. I know this is like phenomenally complex, right? This comes from James 4:17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This principle isn't talking about marriage, but I think it applies to marriage. I know you can't do every single thing you would like to do, or maybe that your spouse and you sit and dream up. I I know you can't take the time off work. I know you can't afford it. But that's not an excuse to do nothing. If you have little kids at home, guys, the most romantic thing that you can do for your wife is probably give that little rug rat a bath. Maybe it's sending a text and say, hey, how about takeout tonight? Or... Guys, send flowers. If you want extra points, sending flowers, guys, do it where your spouse is gathered with other women. Uh, it's, just, it's just a thing. It multiplies the blessing. Uh, maybe it's a note in his lunchbox. I don't know. But when you think of something good, bless your spouse with it. The next one, I think, might be the most significant. If you want things to be different, you model it. It is so easy to be critical and to point the finger at another person. I'll say it again. Don't gripe about what your spouse is not. You become what God wants you to be. If you want something different, you be it. I I know this is hard work. But if you don't like what you're giving, look at what you're giving. This comes from Matthew 7, 12. We know it as the golden rule. It says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you commit to taking this vow, to, to pursue your spouse... Over time, even if you're not where you want to be right now, hearts can soften. Things can change. I know that in some relationships, some things have gone wrong for so long that one or both people just gives up. And there's like a million different directions I could go with this message at this point. And I'm going to say this trying to deal with the reality of life. If that relationship can't be or couldn't be restored because someone refuses to submit to trying to do things God's way, you still need to commit to these things. And when God and if God leads you to someone else, You need to be committed to these things. The next time, commit to someone who keeps God first and their spouse second, or life does not go well. Pursue them with what you say and what you do. Be the change you want to see till death do you part. If you're married and struggling, I know that you shared that kind of love and pursued one another at one time because you got married. <laughs> Nobody gets married if that's not present. Revelations two five. the first part of the verse, says this, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Again, this scripture isn't talking about marriage, but I think there's a golden rule principle in it that can be applied to marriage. If your marriage is lacking what it once had, do the things you did before. Pursue one another. Fall in love again. If the grass looks greener on the other side, water yours. You can still have the marriage God intended you to have. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. God, we want to give you thanks that you pursued us. God, you sent your son. You pursued us. We didn't love you. We weren't obeying you. We were rebelling against you. We, there was no heart affection for you. And in our sin, you showed the depth of your love. And God, it was a love that was till the death of your Son. And God, we want our marriages to model that kind of love till death do us part. So God, as we come this morning to this time of communion, when we remember your sacrifice and your love, we do so praying, God, that you would allow our relationships with our spouse and our friends, our boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, God, to reflect your love in such visible ways that people see Jesus. In your name we pray these things and ask. Amen.